Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Coffee Break on Unsafe Space. Today is Monday, March 16th. I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined, as always, by Batman Pajama, Sans Hat today. Hi, Carter. I might have a hat later. I just oh. jumped out of the shower. I uh, We just did a great interview, you guys, and then, and then I tried to fit a shower in afterwards, so I can't wait for that interview to air. It was an awesome interview, although now I'm worried about we're going to overplay it, but it was a good interview. So it'll oh, okay. come out. It's a it, deprogrammed. It'll be out. We shouldn't even say who it is. It sucks. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> Have low expectations. Don't let us oversell it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Well, Carrie, um, I was talking to my friend who's actually in chat, and uh, he said uh, before the show, I was like, well, you know, I'm not sure what should we talk about. And I said, I told him that I've been like focused on one particular thing all weekend, and my mind was like stuck in this coronavirus thing, and I wasn't sure what to talk about. And he, he said, oh, I know what you're going to talk about. But people in chat don't want to talk about coronavirus. And Carrie says she has something more interesting and better, or at least not coronavirus stuff to talk about. So Carrie, save us all from this obsession. Well, when you said you were stuck in one particular thing for the all weekend, I, it it took me a second to think about what it might possibly be. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> what what could he possibly be thinking about all weekend? Um, <laughs> hey, hey, I, we I are, we're say, ready for the meteor to hit. I will say one just uh, life thing that happened as related to the coronavirus that was pretty cool uh my boyfriend is a musician uh who as you know carter and uh, a lot of musicians are having their gigs canceled uh, understandably so <clears throat> and so um he just did like an impromptu live stream of playing the piano just some stuff and it was so relaxing and people some of the people in chat joined us and uh uh, he definitely, we're going to, he's going to do more of those. I think we're going to do one on Wednesday. That'll be more because that was just, didn't really plan for it. And the, that we need a new like music stand and camera and, you know, things like that. But the next one will be a little better, uh, produced. And, um, anyway, I enjoyed it. It was just like, ah, oh, just sit and listen to some nice classical music. Good. I do and, have to ask I, how your party was yesterday. <clears throat> <laughs> Okay. Well, first of all, <clears throat> on Saturday, I had to go work with the public, as you know. There were still a lot of that, public By the out. way, that is th- that's the worst no matter what's going on. No one likes that. Yeah. <laughs> You're funny. Um, well, I don't mind it so much. I like talking to people from, you know, different places. I don't I, I kind of like that. Really? But I yeah. You don't. I do. Um, but uh <laughs> But anyway, I, so the that happened. There went the, the public. There weren't. There was, the public was still out. It wasn't as many people as usual, but there were still people who um, are just going about their whatever their plans are already, like bachelorette parties and you know things like that. And like, um, and then the the small gathering that I went to yesterday. <laughs> By the way, my my daughter was listening to the show on. Friday, unbeknownst to me, and so was my wife, and they, they noticed that you changed it from party at the beginning of the show to small gathering after I ranted. 
<laughs> that's that's exactly what I did. <laughs> um, well, uh, it, it was you know people. It's funny because even at these things where I think people are get are going out and are drinking and stuff, even while they're socializing and not not practicing social distance and uh, and and drinking and stuff, they're talking about the virus. People were talking about it. Um, so that that's kind of it's like it's almost part of it struck me as what you were talking about with people being a little bit in denial. Like, let me go out. And especially when you're drinking a lot, you know, like, um, I don't drink anymore. So I didn't stay very long. And, um, but I definitely noticed people who have anxiety about their jobs, like whether, whether they're going to be able to keep their jobs during this, um, period of businesses closing and not being open while we're supposed to be social distancing. And I think there's an element to people, um, drinking just to avoid those thoughts or avoid any negative things that might be coming, you know, there's, there's definitely that kind of element mixed in with it. So you're muted. I'm I'm muted because I took my jacket off because I was hot. Um, we know this, that, uh, in rough economies, there are certain industries that tend to do well, and those are like industries that enable escapism. So alcohol, drugs, prostitution, um, entertainment, those are all pretty recession-proof generally. Uh, it depends on what kind of entertainment and stuff, but uh, cheap cheap entertainment or cheap escapism is usually a good investment in a really down time is because uh, people, one of their coping mechanisms is to you know, drink themselves into oblivion or whatever. Uh, so there's that. There is a quote I wish I had found before we started. Maybe somebody in the chat can find it while we're talking. But um, I saw a quote, I, and I told you about this over the weekend. I noticed on Twitter people were posting photos uh, from like Boston, New York City, some other large cities where uh, people were standing, the line was out the door and around the block to get into bars. And a lot of people dressed in green for St. Patty's Day and um, and and somebody posted a, a quote by, I think it was uh, Camus from The Plague. And I didn't realize the quote at first was from The Plague, I thought somebody was just saying this now about what they were witnessing, but it was a, a, a quote from the plague about how, you know, one um, local bar had even put out a sign that said, you know, wine will help kill the wine is the only sure way to kill off any, any bacteria or something like that, how wine will kill it off and, and, and pointing out the obvious, which is no, actually <laughs> just for anyone who needs to know, alcohol is going to depress your immune system. <laughs> It's not going to help. It's a joke. It's a joke about like alcohol will kill off anything inside of you. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it weakens your immune system. It does kill off many things inside of you, but mostly that's the spark of life. Oh, the spark of your life. Your soul oh. is destroyed. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway. Talk about so, something fun because I know a lot of people are like, I, there's a few yeah. like weird Corona-y things like tangentially we can talk about later, but 
people in chat really want to like get distracted or talk about something else for a minute. So what is your thing that you yeah. want to talk about that's fun? Well, I want to talk about this I this idea. I don't want to say this is fun. This isn't necessarily fun. It's just I have some things to say about it. Did first of all, did did I miss a bit of news? Did Biden say that he's going to pick a woman? Yeah, he his, had so I forgot there was a there was a debate last night between Burden Burden Burden, that's the, when you combine uh, Bernie and Biden, you get Burden, which I think is is accurate. Uh, there was a debate between those two old gentlemen last night, and in the debate, I didn't watch it, but in the debate, Biden committed to picking a female vice president. Okay, so <laughs> I have a lot of, that's what I thought had happened based on a post that I, that I saw. Um, and I just, this friend of mine, um, I won't say who it is, but it was a public post. But um, th this is a friend who, of mine who subscribes to my old ideology. We met and worked together in some capacity back when I was an SJW. And to his credit, he, he's really intelligent. And uh, to his credit, he has not he's not one of the SJWs who just is unthinking and completely unfriends me when my opinions start changing. He actually will engage with me. It's like it, there, there's a part of him that's still his brain isn't completely shut off like a lot of SJWs put it that way, and um, and I like that a lot about him. And so we continually have engaged every once in a while, you know, over the past couple years. Um, so, but I will share what he posted. So he he posted something that says, "It seems like a large chunk of the left has a legit concern about tokenism." Uh, blinding them to the value of representation. Of course, it matters which woman Biden picks as VP, but that doesn't mean a commitment to breaking an existing ceiling on women's roles in public life isn't a good thing in and of itself. Both matter. It's worth noting that it's the right that has for years dismissed high-achieving people from underrepresented groups as unqualified and tokens. And it's the left that has argued against those characterizations as fictions used to perpetuate patriarchy and white supremacy. So that's his post. So you probably have some thoughts on that. I had a couple of immediate thoughts, which was one, and, and I, th this kind of thinking is common on the left now. It's like, one, there's this, you're putting forward this idea that there's still a ceiling that needs to be broken. And I don't believe that ceiling is there. I don't think that ceiling's been there for a while. I don't think there's some magical ceiling there that's preventing a woman from being elected to vice president or uh, that's preventing a woman from being elected president. We just haven't picked, we just haven't elected one yet. There it hasn't could been a good one running. Exactly. There hasn't been one that the people have picked, but it, it's not because they're women. And By the way, plenty of uh, there's way more men who have failed to become president after running than have than than women. So you could look at the yes. failures as well. Men fail Great too. Great point. Great point. So to to put forth that idea, you have to believe that there's some sexist glass ceiling, and that and and you also have to believe that. Um, that that ceiling is there, and so therefore you have to pick a woman because you have to break that ceiling. Um, I, I don't believe in, I don't believe in voting for someone because of their sex, and here's why: because it goes against the idea of not voting for people based on their sex. <laughs> Wait, that's confusing. <laughs> right? Like, does it? Why is it so hard to grasp? 
I don't get why the left has twisted ourselves into such a place where we, we don't get it anymore. It's like, I don't want to be selected for anything or denied anything because of my sex. Well, I think you, it's because there is this false narrative that there is still all of this uh, discrimination um, because that's their univariate cause for everything, right? Hillary doesn't win. It must be because she's a woman. You're the one who pointed out to me last week, Carrie, you shared that debate with me um, where they swapped oh. genders. Yes. That was brilliant. My daughter and I ended up watching it. That was brilliant. Can you tell people about, about this? Because, like, yeah, tell people about yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, there's a, what was it called? Her? Her uh, I don't remember. We can find it. I'll find it while opponent. you talk about it. Okay, it's called Her Opponent, and you can find it on YouTube. And they actually, I think they did it for all of the debates between Clinton and Trump, uh, but they definitely took choice excerpts from those debates and put it all together in one short video that you can watch with some of the best interactions. And what they did is they were trying to show that sexism played a role, and so they took the debates and they had these actors portray them, but they swapped the gender. So they had a woman... Say, portraying Trump and they had a man portraying Clinton and they studied they even studied the way they delivered the lines so they acted it you know it was accurate to the debate it wasn't just what they said it was how they delivered it how they walked they had the woman the female Trump they had her pacing in the background the way that Trump did you know some parts like they they acted out the debate and yep. what they found was the opposite of what they were expecting. They found that people overwhelmingly liked the female Trump and disliked the male Clinton. And so this idea that if, if Clinton were just a man, you know, people would have responded better to what she was saying. They actually liked her less when it was coming out of a male body and a male face and a male voice. So it's, it's a very, yeah, Carter just pasted the link in the chat. It was a, it's very interesting. You guys should watch it. And I was curious to see what people thought about it. And some of the responses were very interesting. One of my friends, a male friend who voted for uh, Clinton said he felt the same way. He, he liked the, he liked the male yeah. Clinton better and he would have still voted for the Clinton now as a male. He said, the only thing that would have been different is that I would have been called a sexist for voting for the man, for the male Clinton. <laughs> yes, yes, you would have been. My So my daughter is 10 and she watched it with me. And so she doesn't like, she's not paying attention to all the issues. But so, but so her reaction was much more like visceral about like how things, how the people felt. And she was like, the guy is very fake. She felt the guy was like, extremely fake and manufactured and wasn't sincere and the woman even though it was kind of you know gruff was was like authentic and she liked the woman better as well and, and as did i and uh i just thought it was fascinating because they really that she even gets the actress who does it even has like the you know how trump sometimes like breathes in through his Sniffs. nose like she like all yeah. the little things that they were doing um, every little, uh, facial tick or gesture was, was reproduced and Hillary comes off as the, the guy playing Hillary comes off as a, uh, a fake pandering, you know, elitist surprise. Yeah. Even, even the way that some of the things that Clinton did that I, I think I honestly dismissed or, or it, it's the opposite of what they're saying. I gave her 
leeway because she was a woman in some ways. So, but when I saw a man doing it, I was like, ooh. Yeah, like what a part- skeevy guy that is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like the way that she uh, pimped her book first and was like, my book, which you can pick up in airports tomorrow or whatever. You know, the yeah. way she said it was super slimy when he did it. And you're I'm, like, ooh. Yeah. I'm glad you say <laughs> that actually because I liked her better than Trump because it's so rare that you see uh, a powerful businesswoman uh, yeah. speaking like that. And I was like, she's cool. Like, I really like this chick. <laughs> but yeah, like what, yeah. what was her, they, so they changed their names, even though they were, they were, act, they were, they were doing the scripts of, and they were act, one was Trump, one was Clinton. Um, they her, called them, her name was like Brenda or something. Brenda King, I think was her name. Yeah. And the Clinton name, I don't remember the Clinton name. Uh, but people, yeah. people were like, Brenda 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go Brenda. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so and you guys should definitely watch that. Um, but yeah, so this, so first of all, with that, with my friend's comments, I, I, I disagree that there's a ceiling that hasn't been broken just because someone hasn't been elected to that position yet. Doesn't mean they can't be. And clearly you don't believe that that ceiling is there either. If you believe that your party can win with a woman on the ballot. You don't believe the ceiling's there either. So why are you trying so hard to prove that the ceiling is there and that you're shattering it? Like it's it's not there. I, um, the other thing about the, the thing I read about my friend's post is the second paragraph I think is wrong. I don't think it's reflective of where we're at currently. Can you reread that? Because I forgot that it's been, my brain um, is like well, Biden's now. Bit, I forgot what it was already. Yeah. The, <laughs> The gist of it is that it's it's the right who uh, denigrates uh, people who from marginal quote mar, quote unquote marginalized groups who are in, who get appointed to powerful or elected to powerful positions. Oh. That's not the case anymore. Trump has has appointed many different uh, black people, gay people. There's the one who's that cabinet guy. Who's the gay guy that they the left completely ignores. Um, the, the, he's exactly cause the media is not going to talk about it or celebrate it and say, Hey, this is a first they're not going to, you're like, I don't know because they don't talk about it, but he's, he's, when he appoints women and gay people and people of color, the left celebrate that they don't say, Hey, look, we broke that ceiling. You know, they ignore it. Um, and they treat those people as tokens. They say, so his last paragraph was saying it's the right that does that. It's not the left. Um, I remember the way the left reacted to from my home state of South Carolina representative. He's a black Republican. Is it Tim Scott? They, they were calling him the most racist words on Twitter. They were calling him a house Negro. Um, you know, they were calling him Uncle Tom. They were calling him all these race, racist slurs. They were saying that he was a token. They were invalidating his um, position in life where he's at by saying he's just the only reason he's there is because he's black. And so they're putting him up there. No, I've heard, I hear every day I'm in the walk away group on Facebook and people post their stories. And a lot of those people who are walking away, I walked away and I, I didn't become a Republican, but I walked away from the Democrats. That's for sure. But a lot of those people are walking away and, and they are joining the Republican party. And I hear every day people saying women, LGBT people, black people, like other people of color who are saying the right treats me like an individual. The left treats me 
like some group status, like a check check mark, you know, and it's patronizing and people were sick of it. And so um, I, I just felt I had I, I wanted to talk about it because I thought there were so many things wrong with that. And one of the first comments on his thread was from a man who was saying that, um, you know, what's the harm in, Bi- in Biden acknowledging that um, he doesn't that he doesn't share the perspective of half of the population? And then he went on to. Then he went on to say, well, Palin wouldn't have been a Palin's someone who wouldn't be a right choice, though, because she doesn't she doesn't speak for women. And I was like, how? Here's my question to you. The old, the old guy did, knows who speaks for women. <laughs> right. This this man is saying this Well, this man is saying this. So to this man, I, I, I asked, like, how is it at all accurate or helpful or non sexist to pretend that a person's sex gives them the perspective of half of the population. And how is that true or accurate or helpful or or non-sexist at all? It's not, it's a lie. Your sex doesn't give you the perspective of half of the people. And then dude, you went on to just bring up Palin and invalidate your entire belief. You don't even believe that because you just gave Palin as an example and said she doesn't speak for women. (laughs) So your entire premise is wrong. I I have, it makes me really frustrated because it just seems so obvious. And these are intelligent people. Yeah. I mean, it is it is obvious. I like, I mean, I don't know that I would argue with the people on the right do blah, 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 because I think maybe in the past they did. I don't know, and I don't really care. I think I, I would challenge this whole right-left thing with someone. In, the, in that case, I would say, look, let's not talk about right or left. Let's talk about the social justice ideology or whatever he calls himself, right, the intersectional wokeness versus individualism. Certainly individualists do not do that. Individualists don't care what your gender is when they're making a judgment about whether you're good enough for a job. So, um, you know, they, they put the straw man up, like they, they, they cherry pick some people on the right from two decades ago, and, you know, and they, they grab like the Jerry Falwells and the, um, what was his name, Pat, I want to say Sajak, but that's the Wheel of Fortune guy, Pat. Rob- Pat Robertson. Robertson, right? Yeah, they grab people like that, and I actually don't know those people in particular, but they grab people on the right who've said things that are outrageous, and they characterize this like this is this is the Republicans, um, and I don't think that's very helpful because uh, those are kind of the weird fringe Republicans that mainstream Republicans don't like anyway, and this is not a this is not a battle. We're not having currently a battle between Republicans and Democrats. We are, and, and that's evidenced by the walk away movement. The battle is not True. between the right and the left right now. The battle is between individualists or people at least that are uh, of, of the at least sympathetic to individualism and individualist principles versus people who are basically collectivist authoritarians. That's the battle right now. That's the, that's yes. the terms in which you need to have this discussion. And uh, the, on the individualist side, I believe they're blameless in this glass ceiling crap that you're trying to push. I agree. That's why it's so hard, though, I think sometimes to have conversations with even the well-meaning people like my friend who go into it in good faith and who will discuss with me because we're not talking about the same things. And I have to talk about I feel like sometimes I have to talk about right and left because that's that's the way he sees the world is between right and left and it's not between right and left anymore. And they don't, they really, I think, I really think he fundamentally 
it's not that he's unable to. I think at some point something could change for him and he would be able to understand what I'm saying. But there, there's something about the way he looks at the world right now where he's unable to understand that I don't see the primary um, binary the, right now in, that's happening, this polarization being between the right and left. I don't. I think that's a lie that keeps us bickering and arguing. What party are you? What's your favorite sport? It's like a sports team. Like I'm on this team. I'm on this team. It's not the right and the left. It's, it's what you're saying. They're both in the same it's, league. They're both in the same. They're, yeah, it doesn't matter. I, it's, it's about individualism versus collectivism. Yeah. The individualist versus the collectivist. And so they don't realize it, but it's like, dude, you guys, SJWs, the the part of the left that that buys into this identity politics stuff, you guys are on the same team as the white nationalists. You guys believe the same thing. When it comes down to it, what the real quote, if you want to look at things as teams, you're on the collectivist team. You think the best way to the world, look at the world is in this collectivist way. I, we don't. Individualists, I don't care if you're right. You can be a Republican, you can be a Democrat, you can be undeclared, whatever. You don't even have to be a voter. But if, if you're looking at the world as people matter as individuals and not as a matter of what collective they're in, then you're on my team. <laughs> so Right. Right. Um, Mead vlog channel in chat says that, uh, and I'm bringing this up intentionally because it's intentionally triggering. He says, I'm not sexist, but I don't think women vote very well. <laughs> okay. Um, let's, let's go into this. I want to talk about this. I, I do want to talk about it because, uh, I mean, I would argue people don't vote very well in general. Um, but I, I don't know what he's referring to, but I, if I recall, so I know there've been studies about, um, people, the attractiveness of the politician running is a an unusually has an unusually large uh, influence on who you vote for, which is kind of weird. Uh, although there's probably uh, biological and evolutionary reasons for that, but um, that shouldn't have such an influence. But I do remember, I vaguely remember actually a study being done that women actually tend to view looks as more important than guys when voting but i don't I, I don't have that study in front of me so i'm kind of on on tentative water but uh look a lot of people vote horribly i'm not a big fan of democracy <laughs> as a result but yeah i i would agree women don't vote very well neither do a lot of men so this is we might get into trouble on this and it's funny because i I sort of went here a little bit in that interview earlier today that we were talking about yeah. that will air air at some point. But um, there's, okay, so <laughs> where, where, where should I start this train of thought? <sighs> Women on average, we know tend to be more, uh, what's on the big five? What is it? They're higher in... They're higher in neuroticism. Um, they agreeableness. They are in conscientiousness and they're higher in agreeableness, I think, generally. Yes, they're higher in agreeableness and neuroticism. Yeah. And though, so women often, I, we were talking about it in terms of women getting pulled into my old ideology more easily than men do, I think, because my old ideology is sold it sounds good. It's sold to you as something um, that is meant that is about protecting victims and standing up for those who are oppressed. And you know, it 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 there. That's why I think there are a lot of people who have good intent who get sucked into it. But definitely, there are women 
women are more likely to be the ones who are, I think, susceptible to it. Now, and again, when we talk about on averages, if it's like, it's like a bell curve, it's, it's not that big of a difference between men. It's just on average, I think there's more women in it. Well, I don't, I mean, Um, I don't know what the difference is because we're not allowed to say it or study it. Like it might very well be true that women vote worse as a group. Maybe men vote worse as a group. Uh, I I suspect, I mean, I don't like how most people vote anyway, so it's hard for me to step back objectively and look at this. But uh, what if that were true? That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that we're saying women shouldn't vote. We're just saying like, hey, this is, on average, this group of people is swayed by these particular fallacious arguments or this particular manipulation, which is very commonly used. And so they're susceptible to it. That doesn't mean uh, there shouldn't be suffrage for women. It just means, hey, this is a, f- a fact about the universe, um, or at least the current the current country and how it's right. uh, composed. But it's hard to have that conversation because as soon as you say something like, well, women tend to be more emotional, people get very upset about it. And the f- I mean, and obviously there are exceptions. People point to exceptions. They're like, so-and-so is not, right? My wife is exactly. one of the most rational people I know. Fine. But... Uh, on average, there are differences between the genders, and those differences do manifest in behavior. And it's conceivable, certainly, that one group votes a different way by different set of standards, which might actually not be the best standards. That's possible. Yeah. And and I, I just want to underline what you said. If you're if it people confused, I want to underline what you said about if we talk about let's say let's say it were true that women don't women tend to uh, get sucked into this ideology more than men or that they make voting choices. They make choices based on fallacious arguments, even if that's true. And we're not saying for sure it is, but if it is true, it doesn't mean that women shouldn't have the right to vote. I'm just underlining what you said there. People uh, these days, they tend to confuse um, descriptive speech with prescriptive speech. So saying this is something I've, that I've observed, or this is something that is an observable fact, or something I think is true, um, or even this is something I predict. They take those things as being like, this is the way should things should be, and this is the way that that you know the world should work, and therefore women shouldn't be. That's not that's not true at all. It's just like the um, the studies we've talked about with women today self-reporting lower levels of life satisfaction, lower levels of happiness than they did before the sexual revolution, um, before b- they're not as happy as they were in the 50s. Does that mean that I think women shouldn't have moved into the workplace and that women shouldn't be allowed to have careers? No, of course not. Right. It's just an observation. And and like you said, there are some of these observations you're not allowed to talk about and you're not allowed to study them because they're considered sexist on the very, you know, if you even mention it, it's sexist, you know, right. you're going to get in trouble. So, right. Which is a shame because it means you can't actually investigate it and potentially come up with solutions for it if it's a problem. Um, so, yeah, you're you're basically just ruining it for everyone by by saying you can't you can't talk about this. And there is a difference between. I just want to underscore something you said. There's a difference between what people should be allowed to do and what they want to do, choose to do, what they generally do, like. You know, just because women should be allowed to go into the workforce, just because women should have the equal um, legal status that men do, doesn't mean that most women will want to do that. And it doesn't mean that they should want to do that. They can do whatever they want. And it might be that a bunch of women would rather 
do something different than be the CEO of Google. Like that might not be what women want to do generally. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's, it's disempowering women to tell them that the choices that they're making are not in line with your uh, goal for a gender equality through or gender equity through, you know, all of society that you want a world where women want to be uh, garbage collectors just as much as men. Well, maybe that's not true, right? <laughs> maybe they don't. Maybe the world Maybe that you're in is what, such that women don't choose to do that as much. So there you go. Yeah. Um, I, but, well, and that... Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I just wanted to bring Keith the Hat Guy, anticipate where, where I was going with this. <laughs> I was waiting to say this because we've been dancing around uh, suffrage. Uh, I, don't, I don't like universal suffrage. Uh, someone, in, someone in... I don't, I don't have... I actually do have some ideas for something that would be better, but... Uh, I don't know that there's a perfect solution. I don't know what it is, but someone in chat earlier said an IQ test. The reason I don't like an IQ test is IQ. Uh, first of all, it's only like how fast your car drives. It doesn't it doesn't dictate where your car is driving. It might be nice, but do you really want a government administering IQ tests? Who approves what the IQ test does? Blah blah blah. That that creates a whole thing where you get, you know, um, you end up with with university culture in a bureaucracy like administering tests to make sure that you're the right ideologue that gets to vote. I don't, I don't think that, I don't like that. I don't see that where that's going. Um, there, there used to be this notion of being a landowner, which I get is triggering for a lot of people. There was a notion of paying to vote. Uh, I think this idea that we all need to vote though is definitely flawed and it might be better if voting was more difficult and you had to give something up to vote. You had to like pay or something like you, you had to like something had to happen for you to vote uh and i th the one thing that i'm sure of is you should not be allowed to vote if you make your money from any government program at all so oh wow whether that's lockheed martin uh and you're an employee and lockheed make, makes their money from the defense department or whether that's you're on welfare you lost your vote uh and i, I don't and i know that's controversial but it is a moral hazard to vote for, if your livelihood depends on a large government paying you, then you are not, you need to recuse yourself from the voting process because the rest of us are paying your bill. We get to decide whether what you're doing is a function of society that's warranted. You don't get to decide that because you have a vested interest in always deciding to keep funding yourself. Um, and I know that won't go over well, but I think that's the easiest first step is just you make money from the government. You made money from the government this year. You're out. Can't vote. Okay. Well, you're saying that may not go over well, but I'm just hearing it for the first time. And it, I think you've convinced me. I'd need to think about it some more, <laughs> but I, it makes sense to me. When you first said that, I was thinking that's crazy. And then when you made the point about how the rest of us pay your salary. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe people who have any type of income from the government. I don't know, maybe that's a good idea. Well, um, so Lindsay Peterson but, points out there are edge cases here, though, right? She says, what about the store owner that services Lockheed Martin employees? It's kind of hard to draw a line. Yeah, it is a little bit hard to draw a line. And I would say that you'd have to draw it in a kind of you'd probably want to draw it in a conservative manner. That's like, okay, well, if you're the store owner that services them, you like, you know, you can't really help who your customers are. You might be targeting Lockheed Martin, but your business doesn't fundamentally uh, 
require this. Um, the, the thing I don't like about that, that was just an idea I threw out. The thing I don't like about that idea is it means the government's in everybody's business about who they get employed from or where they get their money, and I don't like that and, to start with. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I think maybe the very at the very least, the very first step is if you get a direct paycheck from the government, you lost your right to vote. Um, and people okay, on the right won't like that because it includes the military, and people on the left won't like it because it includes welfare recipients. So if no one likes it, so it must be good. No one likes it. <laughs> well, Ian Burns in chat doesn't like it. He says, you only get to vote if you work in the private sector. That's nuts. I don't know. Ian's swaying me back the other way now. Why, why is, but wait, wait, Ian, all, his whole argument was that's nuts. That's not an argument. Why are you swaying? I know it's not an argument. I'm not, I don't know, but <laughs> it's not an argument. But Here, he here's, here's why you only get to vote if you work in the private sector. It's that the government is supposed to be there for... I mean, again, I'm going to put my anarchy aside, right? That the government is supposed to be there to protect individual rights. It's supposed to be a limited government that's there to protect individual rights. The problem that you have is bureaucracies always grow. They, are, they uh, grow by their nature. They're always incentivized to keep expanding. So once you take some of this, this money... Uh, that is because the money is all produced in the private sector. Private sector is the only place where actual production happens. It's the only place where money is actually produced. Only wealth is created in the private sector. So the private sector, the, the government relies on the private sector. The government is a giant leech. It can't do anything on its own. It needs the, the private sector to fund it. That's how the government works. And there are certain things that people tend to agree should be funded by the government. I don't necessarily agree, but it doesn't matter. Things like mutual defense, people were like, well, you know, that's a function that should be the government. We should all pay for that, right? But it's the the we who gets to decide to pay for that. It's their money. So if, for example, let's imagine you have a, a program going the wrong, like a bad program. They fund, we should all, uh, we should have a, a workforce of people that runs around painting everything blue. That's a great idea. So they start funding it. Well, next election cycle, uh, the people might decide that was actually a bad idea. We don't want to be funding. We don't want our tax dollars to go to that project. It's a dumb project. But you've got a workforce of people who are now hired and have cans of blue paint running around painting everything blue. What do you think they're going to vote for? They're never going to undo that program. The only way that you can roll, roll programs back is if the people benefiting from the program have no say. The people like benefiting by employment from the program have no say in continuation of the program. It's the rest of society that needs to decide whether that's something that needs to continue or not. And this idea that like, oh, it, the private sector is bad. The private sector is not bad. The private sector is just people voluntarily living their lives, interacting with each other, with each other voluntarily, not through coercion, trading and doing business with each other and being productive. Yes, of course they have to have the right to vote um, instead of the people that are spending their money. So people in chat have some really interesting comments. Um, we asked Ian, why is it nuts? And he said, because I'm a teacher. <laughs> yeah, Fair so enough. you don't get to vote, Ian. Sorry. No, but no, but I get, he's saying, you know, he's got a personal reason why. But here's a good point that um, little ragamuffin said, which is like, maybe the government should not be controlling the schools. So maybe what would happen is I agree is that, with little ragamuffin on that. Yeah. Right. So maybe, maybe it would uh, force... See, maybe government is so big and maybe government controls so many different things and has a hand in, you know, is running schools and run, because we're allowing people in government to vote. Right. Think about <laughs> everything that goes wrong ever. 
the, the, the bureaucracies in charge, you never hear anyone, in, either a politician, almost never, either a politician or a bureaucrat, you never, ever hear them say, well, I think it turns out this program was a failure and we should shut this thing down and, and go, go do something else. This, this was a bad idea. Never. It's always, well, that thing didn't work, but we didn't do enough of it. We need to see more money. That's, how it, that's why government always grows, because the answer is never, I should fire myself. Ever. And in the free market, if you don't produce a product that people want, you go out of business. You get fired by the public. But if you have a say in it, <laughs> you're not going to vote to fire yourself, ever. This is like that Upton Sinclair quote, which I've we've mangled before. I don't have it right in front of me, but Upton Sinclair uh, wrote that, you know, it's very hard to convince a man of something that his salary depends on him not understanding. Right. It's similar to that idea. Yeah. Right. And Ninja um, Kitty's saying, well, there wouldn't be that many people painting stuff blue. Like, yes, that was my silly example. But uh, when you start saying there's umpteen million government programs, that starts to add up to a lot of people. When you start saying there's government schools everywhere, that does add up to a lot of people. And it becomes influential. And you have huge unions and you have these, you know, you've got public sector unions getting together and, and throwing union dues behind people and funding campaigns for like... It gets to be a real thing. The, 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 there's a significant, I think it's over, I think it's something like, oh man, I want to say it's like a third of the population directly gets their money from the government, something ridiculous. And like it's over half, I think, that gets it indirectly. It, like it's a ridiculous amount of our population is on the government dole in some way. And then we scratch our heads wondering like, gee, why is government expanding and things are getting so big and out of control? Like, well, what do you mean why? <laughs> like you put the five-year-old in, in charge of the cookie jar like of course okay so timmy in chat says uh my fear is this will limit the amount of qualified people willing to work for the government and then she says Good. but uh my, might not be a bad thing actually <laughs> right uh right. and then keith keith the hat guy says uh I worked for Lockheed Martin for a while. Most vocal people voted in favor of more war machines as their number one criteria. Conflict of interest should not be allowed to vote. Right. Yeah, I worked for Lockheed Martin as well. And uh, I would implement that rule for myself at the time. Um, I shouldn't have been allowed to vote. Um, and I think it would have changed. I think, I think that it undoes a, it helps prevent a moral hazard. Um, I think it was Mead, someone pointed out, uh, I think it was Mead Vlog Channel pointed out that uh, the voter turnout in the U.S. is very low. That's true. It is very low. Um, but my guess is, and I don't know the numbers on this, but my guess is uh, the people that rely on particular government programs are sure to turn out to vote for them more than the people who are kind of not paying attention, doing their thing. The government is so big and uh, so complicated at this point, and regular people, regular private sector people, they have jobs and they're busy. And so the idea of like going out and voting for, you know, there's not a feeling like this really, really matters to me. Um, there's kind of this feeling that it will inevitably, things will kind of grow a little bit. And um, I think they are less likely to go. And I, I, don't, I don't think low voter turnout is a problem. Uh, I love low voter turnout. I think it's great. And, um, you know, I think one of the problems is we've got these things like, look at Rock the Vote. It's the worst thing in the world, right? You've got these clueless musicians running around trying to register high school and college students to vote uh, on when they know nothing about the issues. Uh, and 
is that really what you want? You want a bunch of people running around saying like, yes, we have federal uh, student loans. We need to forgive them. Well, is that not a conflict of interest? That's a very good point. And this is something you've already swayed me on that since the time we started doing the podcast, started Unsafe Space together to now, um, I used to just automatically assume that things like rock the vote were great because you're getting more people involved in the process and you're increasing voter turnout. And why would you be against that? Right. And it was one of those unexamined things that I just believed without having looked at, you know, unexamined because I hadn't looked at it. And then in conversations with you, I started to rethink it. And, and now I look at those things and I, I, I can't believe I used to view them differently. <laughs> I can't believe I used to think that it was just automatic positive. You know, as a manager in entertainment, I used to manage comedians and my partner managed musicians. And, um, I was, I very much pushed my, my SJW ideology when I was in that industry. And, um, we would have at our shows, we would have bring, we would have rock the boat people there signing people up. And of course, of course yeah. they were the other, it, it wasn't just that they were signing up people, um, without, and maybe that's not necessarily a good thing, just have a lot of unthinking people participating. Um, but uh, they were also they were also specifically pushing one party, although that wasn't said, but they were. It was obvious. Yeah, I've always noticed that obvious, about Rock yeah. the Vote. They're always pushing one party. Um, yeah. And, uh, and that party doesn't have a trunk. Um, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean... <sighs> Lindsay Peterson says everyone has a conflict of interest. Yeah, that's true. Even private people have co conflict of interest. Like, yes, to some extent, we all uh, have things that we desire from the government or or want them to not do or leave us alone in some way or whatever. Yes, we all have that. I'm just saying uh, there's a pretty obvious one, which is like, this is where my, this, like, I'm, I directly get to feed my family and live. <laughs> like, my paycheck directly comes from this. Um, this is why the founding fathers, this is one of the reasons I think founding fathers uh, didn't have this idea that senators would be this permanent position where you get paid a lot of money. It's kind of like they viewed it more as this, you know, you do it begrudgingly as a, the charity work. You have to go to Washington and vote on some shit and go home. Um, it's not. It's not supposed to be a career. And uh, I think, I think there's a. I think there's a distinction that you can make. And so, yeah, you could make a slippery soap argument and say everyone has. Everyone has some vested interest. Yes, of course. That's why there's voting. That's we have interests. We vote because we have some interest, of course. But um, but there are people who directly benefit monetarily from like the, who are employed by are part of the system. And people that are part of the government seems like they shouldn't get a chance to decide whether that government should exist and to the extent whether that government should exist. That government is there to serve the people, not the other way around. Um, Lindsay also brought up a good point, which is. What about minimum wage? Oh, it wasn't Lindsay. That, well, Lindsay brought up minimum wage, but someone else, Elizabeth said, whoa, does minimum wage make one a government employee? No, uh, because minimum wage is an imposition on both the employer and the employee by a third party, neither of whom uh, have voluntarily consented to that. So uh, I would not argue that minimum wage does not make you a government employee. All right. Okay, so to start, to kind of finish the thought or the conversation we were having earlier about women, Yep. Um, there was one other point I wanted to make, which was that um, this this thing that we're not supposed to discuss, right? Like, how do women do women make their decisions on who to vote for it on average differently than men do? 
And I think I would argue that because women are higher on agreeableness and neuroticism on average, um, that they do tend to they do tend to vote uh, more for the emotional argument or maybe you could say like the moral argument. And so I think if you were able to study that and say, yes, women vote in this way differently and differently than men, well, then the conclusion from that is not, well, women shouldn't be able to vote. The conclusion is that people need to learn how to make the moral argument. And so instead of simply making the materialistic argument or, or the, you know, you can have all the logic in the world. You can have a logical sound argument, but unless you're speaking to what, you know, to, to bring, to bring this back to Jonathan Haidt, the elephant and the writer, unless you're speaking to the emotional mind, you're not going to sell it very well. And the left is very good at selling things to the elephant. They're very good at selling things to the elephant, (laughs) Uh, to the emotional mind. And so um, there's another a book I read um, that I've mentioned before. Um, uh, oh gosh, here it's on my love your enemies by Arthur Brooks. And he talks about Jonathan Haidt a lot in that book, but, but he gives the example of learning how to like for a, a brief time, I think he was um, in charge of, of the budget of bringing in money for a nonprofit or his brother was, I think he was talking about his brother and he said, you know, you could go out with stats and tell people, let, let's whatever your charity, uh, let's, let's say it's a, a charity about hunger, right? You could say this many people are suffering from hunger uh, in the world, and this is our charity promises to do X, Y, Z, and we're going to re- we're going to provide this many meals, and we're going to with your money we'll do blah blah blah, and we'll. He's like, none of that is as effective as telling people one story, and that's why you see the those ads. It's like this is little Johnny. Johnny is, you know, and they paint one picture, one story, one emotional argument to get you to donate to end Johnny's hunger instead of giving you just a lot of stats. Right. So. Yep. No, absolutely. Uh, and it's, and it is about, you know, someone commented on a video uh, that I made the other day. It was like, I don't like it because the background music is trying to evoke emotions in me. And it's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, that's not an argument. I'm like, I, I know. The music in the video is not the argument. The argument is the stuff I'm saying in the video. The music and the imagery is designed to emotionally manipulate. Now, I'm not particularly good at picking background music, so I think it backfired in many ways. That's a separate <laughs> issue. Uh, like, that's why you do that, you, because it gets people to pay attention and actually be engaged. So maybe they'll listen to the argument. But this whole, like, I and I used to be one of these people when, when I first became an atheist and was very focused on reason, which is admirable. Um, but I would be, I would be very dismissive of like, oh, there, you're, you're doing this thing that's an emotional argument. I'm like, yeah, but that's not the argument. Like I'm taking the argument that's rational and I'm putting emotional stuff around it so that people who aren't listening to rational arguments, which is everyone basically, will maybe listen to this one. Like that's the, yes. that's the problem because if people just listen to rational arguments, we wouldn't have to be having all these discussions. Like this stuff would be over a long time ago. They get led by emotions, and and if you want to convince people, uh, I still believe that rational argument needs to be the foundation because it's the uh, ultimately if they're listening and processing, they're going to try and rationally deconstruct what you're saying to make sure it makes sense. But to to get them engaged and to hook them in there, like 
you can't just be bland and give rational arguments. And I know that that's like a weakness of mine. I tend to want to just do that. But that doesn't work. Like, I need to grow and figure out ways to engage people better. But that's not, a, that's not abandoning reason. That's, that's being rational about facts about human psychology. People don't want dry, logical arguments. They don't pay attention. Yes, you're exactly right. It's, and that's what the book uh, Love Your Enemies was talking about. It's saying, make the rational argument, make the facts the foundation. You, you can't, and some people do disregard those entire, I'm on the left, I see all the time things, they're not based on the ration, but the arguments do have that, um, the moral element or the emotional element, and they hook people. Imagine how powerful your arguments could be if you had both, if the foundation was, was factual, it was reasoned, well-reasoned, it was logical, and then you surrounded it with this um, emotional appeal that got people to pay attention to it. That's what I think we need to get better at doing. <laughs> Miles in chat says, it seems like what you're describing is selling. <laughs> yes, it is. But as an engineer, selling was never a strong point of mind. But look, good salesman, you know, a good sales guy or gal can take, uh, can take a crappy product and sell it all day long with a smile. A moral good salesperson won't. A moral good salesperson will take only a product that they actually believe is valuable and sell that with a smile all day long. But the sale, the, the skill of, of sales is, is a critical one if you're gonna deal with humans, which seems like we're gonna be doing for the foreseeable future. <sighs> so, in chat, uh, we did have a request from someone. Uh, Timmy said she would love to hear Carter's take on election funding. On election funding. I mean, uh, I don't know if you want my take. Uh, <laughs> okay. I need to back up because there's new people on the channel. And, and uh, let me back up and say this. As a reminder, I am an anarchist. I do not believe in the government at all. So ultimately, <laughs> that's not a question I ever care to answer because it doesn't matter. There is no election. Um, however, I recognize that political systems do not survive without the an underlying culture that supports that. And our culture could in no way support uh, a, a, any kind of good or stable anarchy right now. It would be anarchy in the bad sense and craziness and would probably end up with a dictator if we tried to do anarchy right now because our culture can't support it. And, and you know, I've said this before, you know, there, there, there's the Andrew Breitbart quote, quote that uh, culture is upstream from politics. And I've said that philosophy is upstream from culture. So I first think society, like philosophy needs to change, culture needs to change. Then we can start worrying about the politics because the politics ultimately are just pieces of paper uh, on which some rules are written, and those rules are supported by cultural uh, norms, uh, ethical and philosophical uh, agreement culturally that we're in. And when we stop having that agreement, we just ignore that piece of paper. And so a great example would be the Second Amendment. When the Second Amendment to the Constitution was written, it was a cultural norm and expected that carrying a firearm was fine, it was a legal right, you needed to be able to fight the government. Pfft, that was just part of culture, let's write it down. Now that same thing is written down, same words, but... Uh, it's actually not implemented. We don't care about it. We violate it all the time, we being the, the politicians, because as a culture, there's nothing there to back. I mean, uh, some of us 
support it. But generally, as a culture, we think that there should be reasonable measures and restrictions in this and restrictions in that. But what about that? And as a culture, we don't really support that anymore. So what's written is irrelevant. So um, with all of that said, I, I don't think I don't I don't think that the idea of limiting funding or uh, controlling who funds what or even exposing funding is is really the problem. Uh, and the reason for that is I think people blame the wrong side of that equation. People say uh, wealthy people buy off politicians. So we must stop the wealthy people from buying off the politicians. Um, and that's a very naive way to look at it, and it's the way that like a Keynesian looks at economics. It's all backwards. Wealthy people don't want, trust me, wealthy people don't want to buy politicians. Uh, when I, um, years ago, uh, I had just exited a startup. I had a bunch of money in my pocket. I had a bunch of friends. Some of them were billionaires, and uh, they were trying to get me to buy politicians. They were like, well, here's how you do it. What you do, here's this guy. In fact, one of them was Ro Khanna, who's now in office. And I met with Ro Khanna at uh, the Battery in San Francisco. And they were like, here's what you do. Uh, you, you, I, so I met with Ro Khanna, and I came away from the meeting, and I told this guy who wanted me to meet with Ro Khanna, I was like, I don't, I, don't, I don't like his politics. I don't want to give him money. And the guy was like, no, 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 you don't understand. What you do is you give him money, and you give everyone, you give, you give people money. And if you think he's got a chance of making it, then he owes you later. That's how this works. This, this is an investment, Carter. You're not thinking of it in the right way. This is just an investment. Um, business people don't want to make those investments. They only make those investments for one reason, and that is they pay off. So the problem is the power that politicians have makes them targets to be bought off. And if you did not have the massive regulatory and legal power, if we had a limited small government, politicians are worthless. You wouldn't want to buy a politician off because his hands would be so tied he couldn't do favors for you. So the reason to buy politicians off is because of their power. And just like the black market, just like outlawing drugs isn't going to make people, isn't going to decrease the demand for heroin, it's just going to drive it underground. Changing laws about buying politicians doesn't decrease the demand for the power that politicians currently have. There's still demand to control that power. And there will be a way. And it will either be through um, you know, controlling unions or pushing things through different uh, groups, or you've now got uh, the 501c3s. And like, there's always ways to do this. There's the Clintons were great at being bought off, right? There's we have our Clinton Foundation, and like, oh look, we have uh, you know. 300 or 30 million dollar check from some Saudi guy and oh look now where our policies have changed it's like you can never you like tracking that down and actually policing that is a you're just asking for an Orwellian level of surveillance in everyone's pocketbook and there's like the problem is not that people can give money to politicians the problem is that politicians are worth something they shouldn't be worth the investment. And the only way to do that is to take away their power. Politicians should not have the power. And to do that, you've got to roll back the regulatory state. You've got to roll back the power of the government. And only when the government has no power or very minimal power, only then do wealthy people stop trying to spend their money buying politicians because they're useless. I appreciated that. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm sure, Timmy, does that answer your question? 
probably doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. I think it does. I like it. Um, well, uh, can can we go back to this topic that we were discussing earlier? Because I have an update. Which topic? About about the gl- whether or not there's a glass ceiling that women oh, need to shatter to the people with being... lady bits topic. Yeah. Yeah, the people with lady bits topic. So my friend in real time has responded to me because I basically said, we disagree. I, I, I said, you're posting this as if we agree there's a ceiling that needs to be broken and therefore he must choose a woman. I don't believe that ceiling is there anymore and it hasn't been for some time. I don't want to choose candidates based on their sex. That goes against the idea of not choosing candidates based on their sex. <laughs> Similarly, I don't want my sex to be a factor in anything I get not the reason I'm denied an opportunity and not the reason I'm awarded it. So he says, yes, we disagree. In every moment in history, there have been women and people of color who sought to distance themselves from efforts to combat patriarchy and white supremacy by characterizing its claims as radical and by affirming their own self-sufficiency. So you are in plentiful company. (laughs) So by the way, he didn't have an argument. He was just like, you're one of those bad people. Yeah, he didn't make an argument. Uh, you he didn't you believe make, that you have some sort of agency. Bad. He didn't make an argument that the ceiling is there. He basically just said, I'm aligning myself with patriarchy and white supremacy. Right. But he hasn't proven he hasn't proven that patriarchy and white supremacy is keeping a woman from being vice president. Well, you know why he didn't make an argument there? Why? There isn't one. Yeah. Now this show has just evolved into you guys helping me come up with my responses on social media. (laughs) (laughs) Elizabeth, by the way, Elizabeth asked me, can you make a public statement that you're not suicidal? You spit some serious truth just now. (laughs) I'm not suicidal because here's the thing. Life is not about who your overlords are. I wouldn't even be suicidal if I was actually on a plantation as a slave. I would be miserable and pissed off about it and probably trying to escape and maybe die. But... I wouldn't be suicidal because life, the whole reason, like life is worth living. The reason I'm anti-government is because fundamentally, as much as I hate most people, I love people like the idea, man qua man, like person, like a person as a person is a wonderful thing. People have uh, the ability to restructure the world and to do amazing things in and develop beautiful art and invent wonderful things. And the capacity for human happiness is almost unlimited. And so... We are here and like my community is not whoever's president or senator. My community is my wife, my daughter, my friends, my family, people around me. And like, that's my world. The fact that there's a bunch of overlords trying to make it worse. Yeah, I hate it. I'm fighting it. And they're going to ruin it for all of us or they're trying to. But that's not life is not about who's in office. Who's in office is incidental life. Like if you want to actually fight for the life you want, it's the culture around you that needs to change. It's the philosophy that needs to change. The politics will take care of itself. If your grandkids grow up being individualist and it's an entire generation, problem will be solved. The problem will be solved. You won't have to be fighting social justice warriors because social justice warriors will be laughed out of preschool as they should be. Yeah. it's That's why we say on this program, and if you're new to Unsafe Space, uh, you might be tempted to characterize us to depending on which episodes you tune in for as a political podcast, we're not a political podcast. We 
talk about politics because we talk about a lot of different things. Um, I'm, an idiot. You, I'm but, an idiot. Wait, I'm a total idiot. Wait, 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 wait. I know, but wait, wait. Just let me make this point. We are a politic. We are politic. We are a podcast about culture because, like Carter said earlier, culture. We do believe that Breitbart was right. That culture is upstream of politics, and that philosophy is upstream of culture. And so we talk about philosophy, we talk about culture, and we inevitably end up talking about politics. But that's not our focus. It's it's. And I I agree, Carter. If you if you sort out the ideas, if you sort out philosophy then culture sorts itself out better. And if culture sorts itself out better, then politics would sort itself out better. Right. And and I <laughs> I need to apologize to Elizabeth. It was a good joke, Elizabeth. I just was not getting it. I'm like, why does she think I'm suicidal? Uh, I know. you. I got Hillary, the joke. And you I get it. I get uh, it. I am not Seth Rich. I am not about to kill myself. Hillary doesn't care about me because I'm not actually... Uh, like. I'm affecting future of her, like, grandkids and great-great-grandkids, not her directly. I mean, her life is—she already sucks. There's nothing I can do to make, make her not be president anymore. So, uh, but <laughs> it was a good joke. Yeah, yeah, I got it. <sighs> I know. I can't believe I didn't get I can't believe I didn't, didn't get it. Oh, well. Um, uh, I, you know, I, can I say one thing about the—, the how I view the road to anarchy. I don't view the road to, and there's a lot of people who are like, view the road to anarchy as there needs to be some violent revolution overthrowing the government and blah, blah, blah. And that's, uh, I mean, that may be what happens because who knows what the hell's going to happen. And, and, you know, we may end up with authoritarianism and the revolutions deserved. Uh, but you know, the way that I would like to see change and how I imagine it is, is, a, if there is a revival of rational philosophy and a revival of the culture that built America, what will happen over generations is that the government will slowly start to shrink and people will start realizing like, oh, the government shouldn't be doing this thing. Let's stop. The government should, shouldn't be doing that. Let's stop. And over time, it will just gradually get smaller and smaller and smaller. And I've said this before, but I would love to be in a world where the libertarians were in charge. It was a minimalist government, and I was arguing that it should be even smaller. That would be a great. <laughs> that would be a great world. Um, you know, it wouldn't even be that important to me to make it much smaller. Like, I get it. Like, I think we need to pass through that small government phase um, as a culture, and I feel like we kind of we didn't do that in the U.S. What we had was a revolution, and then started with a relatively small government idea but it just kind of grew bigger from there. We've never really gone the opposite direction. And I'm not aware in history, I'm not a historian, but I'm not aware in history of any um, point at which there was a slow progression to uh, wanting government less and less. So maybe I'm just smoking something to think that that could happen. But I do think that philosophy needs to change and, and culture needs to change first. So, all right, Carrie, entertain us. Okay. So, entertain us. Um, well, since we have been talking about craziness on social media, or not craziness, but, you know, ridiculous posts by people, uh -huh. um, I just wanted to talk about briefly, this is something we've discussed before, but it, 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 it just happened again yesterday, and I thought it would be worth bringing it up. Um, and some of our viewers were in this, Laura was there. So, uh, we're in this conversation. I... Um, you know, you know this thing that Stephen King shared. Did you see this? Uh, is this is this? No, I've seen some things he shared. Uh, I saw someone criticizing him for 
talking about his own book uh, and asking if he read it. Uh, I don't know what you're referring to, though. Okay, so Stephen King shared this tweet that had some really great, hilarious comments on it. And so I shared some of the comments because they made me laugh so hard. So anyway, his tweet was, note that Trump's coronavirus team is all male, all old, and all white. <laughs> now, So they're going to do a great job. <laughs> like, yeah, like what conclusion are we supposed to draw from that? He, he intends for us to draw a negative conclusion. What There's infinite number of conclusions because he's not saying anything at all. He's just pointing out observation, all white, all and, and, and by the way, he's wrong. And some of the best comments were people posting pictures of, uh, like, they're like, look, she's literally standing right next to him in this picture. <laughs> like, you're, you're, you're wrong. It's not all white and it's he's not all male. Douche. But one of my favorite comments was uh, Yasmin Mohammed said, just like you. (laughs) 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 All male, all old and all white. So anyway, this thread that I posted was mostly just uh, funny responses. Um, Like I think like some black guy had a funny response. There were a lot of people with funny responses um, and mostly people were laughing. Now, then a couple of SJWs came in and uh, don't have a sense of humor, as we've discussed um, and one of them disguised himself at first. Uh, I, I, I guess my post got shared around. And so there were strange people in there, strangers. And, um, this guy said, so he, he started off by saying, you know, the only reason I care is because Trump during his CDC firings or, you know, cuts, he fired such and such woman. And therefore, you know, he fired the best specialist and blah, blah, blah. And my point was, because I'm getting tired of this narrative that Trump is mismanaging things. Um, and I think like with anything, there are some good things he's done and some bad things he's done. And I think that him, I said, I think it was a great decision for him to shut off travel from China immediately. Um, and it saved, it bought us time. And it also prevented us from being in the same position as a place like Italy right now, you know, for example. And, um, that was a good decision. And what did he get for it? He was called racist by the media. They drug him through the mud and called him a racist for shutting, for making a wise, quick decision, shutting down travel from China at the very beginning. Right. And so, uh, so this guy, uh, basically starts arguing with me, but he, and I also pointed out, look, here's an article from the Huffington post, which is a leftist side with a, with a left leaning bias that, that is, that is all about Obama's cuts to the CDC. Like every president makes cuts, every president fires people, like that you're not actually saying anything at all that's unique to him. Um, So, you know, and I said, you know, I voted for Obama twice, but honestly, and I think this may have been the first time I've said this publicly, I'm probably gonna end up voting for Trump in 2020, just given that Tulsi, my candidate, who I voted for is is not gonna get the nomination. So unless there's third party candidate who comes into the race who I don't know about yet, who I like, I'm probably going to end up voting for Trump. And part of the reason that I like is because I like his, how he's handled some of his, his responses to this crisis. And I, and I'm empathetic with, with him for him because they've made him an empathetic character. They are as bad as he is. They've made, they're worse. They've made me empathize with him because he can't do anything right. And I'm sick of this, fake narrative that everything he does is wrong, including shutting down travel to China. Oh, that's wrong. That's bad. It's not. 
Um, yep. So anyway, I, I disagreed with him and I posted some of those facts. And so um, he quickly moved on to the uh, he was throwing out a lot of things. And he's he, one of the things he threw out was that Trump called the virus a hoax. And I said, I said, well, he's he's he didn't call it a hoax. Like, I thought you were a serious person. It, it, just look it up in context. That's not what he said at all. He did not. He said that the Democratic response, the Democrats response and the media's response to his efforts, their response characterizing him as like bungling it, that's a, that's a hoax. That they're trying to sell this narrative that he's bungled it, and that is the hoax. He didn't call the virus itself a hoax. That's ridiculous, first of all. Could you even imagine him saying that? But look it up. And so um, I, I said, did you also believe that he colluded with Russia? Are you kidding me? How many hoaxes do you believe in? And so that he came back and said, I do believe he absolutely colluded with Russia. And at that point, I said, okay, you're not a serious person. I wish you well. I wish you the best. And that's all I said. And I felt like, because my tendency sometimes is, and maybe you guys who are watching have this tendency too, especially if you've left SJW ideology like I have, I want to demonstrate with my behavior what was wrong with my old behavior. And part of my old behavior was not having conversations and not listening to people and just saying, oh, you're wrong and go away. And so and so part of my instinct now is to engage with people like this and go back and forth with him. But I've, I've also now, I've come to, like we were talking about, people in the chat were talking about your gut earlier. I've, my gut is telling me this guy is not for real. This guy's a troll. Um, and some of the stuff he was saying didn't sound true like about himself and he has a fake name and you know, a couple of different things. I'm like, this isn't worth my time. Ultimately it's not worth my time. And it's not about avoiding a conversation. It's about realizing this guy believes so many hoaxes that he is not a serious person and, and we're not going to get anywhere. And it's not, it's pearls before swine. I, I my time is better spent elsewhere. And the, and it, I don't need to, I don't need to call him an idiot or anything. I can just say it's not, I'm sorry, you're not a serious person. It's not worth my time. So uh, I said that. And then this is how quickly the mask came off. And this is why I'm talking about this. Cause you will see this happen in conversations with him. Carter, he immediately said this to me after lots of comments where he's pretending like he can't vote for Trump because he respects people and he's about equality and Trump is sexist. And right. so he immediately says, all I say is, okay, you're not a serious person. I wish you the best. He says, quote, you would eat Trump's S H I T. <laughs> if he told you it tasted like ice cream, probably asked for seconds too. just another completely brainwashed trumpet. Uh, I can't believe a woman can support a man that treats women like he does. Sexual harassment, rape allegations, the way he talks about them, it's absolutely disgusting. Okay, so first of all, what you just said about me, a woman, eating another person's <laughs> SHIT, that's not disgusting. That's not disgusting. What's wrong with you? And then he goes, next What's time you What's going on over woman, there in the social justice community? Is that right? a thing? It's so gross. <laughs> he said, uh, next time you hear about a woman getting raped, just remember that you support that behavior. So he says a bunch of untrue things that are completely not found. They're not based in truth. Uh, I'm not a trumpet. I would not eat someone's feces. Um, there's a lot of really nasty insults. 
Uh, so I just said, ah, there's the monster. Thanks for confirming my suspicion so thoroughly for everyone to see. Like, I'm I'm happy you took the mask off, essentially, is what I'm saying. Right. Very ne- and this is the last thing I'll read from Very next comment, he goes, you're the monster, stupid C word, C-U-N-T. Yep. Um, and then he blocks me, so I can't reply. Now, I'm bringing this up because, <laughs> yeah, you're laughing. He blocks me. <laughs> um I, I did say to him, actually, before he blocked me, I said, you know, thank you. What else would you like to say to me? Like, please continue. Let us all hear. <laughs> let let us see. Let us see. I'd like to see. Um, my point in bringing this up is just that I think sometimes if you're trying to do what I do and have these conversations online, it not every conversation is worth having. And I'm saying this out loud to myself as well. There are people who if you get the gut, if you get the gut reaction that there's that they're wearing a mask and they're trolling um, or they're they're not actually sincere. They're not engaging in good faith. Sometimes just a very civil. I'm sorry, you're not based. You're not dealing in facts. I don't have time to have this discussion with you, but I wish you the best or, you know, peace or whatever. Even something that's not it's not rude. It's not mean. It's it immediately triggers them to take the mask off and show you what was really there the whole time. And then you realize, oh, yeah, I was talking to a demon. (laughs) This whole time it was a demon. So um, you may not have anything to comment on that. But I mean, no, I mean, I I I agree with you. I'm glad you're seeing that. I mean, I don't um, I don't argue. I I think, um, you know, you said like, oh, I'm not trying to avoid a conversation. Like, that's a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with avoiding conversations. I avoid conversations constantly. I spend most of my day avoiding conversations. There's like, <laughs> when you're busy and you have other stuff to do, you say no to a whole bunch of things. So yeah. that's what you do. Like, I say no to Twitter almost all the time and Facebook almost all the time because I have stuff to do. And so, like, yes, there is someone wrong on the Internet. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's more of like um, if you were in my position and you used to preach SJW ideology, which was about not having conversations with people who disagree with you. Don't you think you would feel a little more like, look, I feel that it's sort of um, you want to demonstrate with your actions a different way of being? Well, I mean, I yes. I mean, certainly when I first became an atheist, um, for those of you who don't know my background, I was uh, raised a very fundamentalist Christian in like a cult kind of. Um, and uh, when I became an atheist, it was in my early 20s. Keith the Hat Guy was around for that transition, actually. And um, I did, you know, it took me it took me a little bit to become an atheist. I like wrestled with it and, and you know, kind of was like, first I was like agnostic. I remember telling Keith the Hat Guy like, well, I'm a kind of agnostic. I don't know, right? But once I kind of like became an atheist, uh, my next obsession, and it probably lasted for five years, maybe longer, my next my next obsession was was just like going after religious people, proving trying to prove that God didn't exist, and convincing them, and talking about the horrors of of religion. Uh, and I think I needed to get that out of my system before I was able to like step back, take a deep breath, and really look more objectively at. Um, religion, what I was doing, whether that was really worth my time. There were some valuable things about religion, like really able to like separate from it a little bit. I first had a backlash. Um, and I think, you know, while I 
disagree with, and actually I call the social justice warriors evil more than you do. Um, so while, while we both are on that page, I think you have a more personal connection to proving them wrong every time you see one. And my reaction to them is to more like shrug and, and roll my eyes when I see them. And your reaction, I think, is more like, I need to prove this one wrong. And that's probably just because you left social justice so recently. That's my guess. Yeah, I think I think that's part of it, but I but I think another part of it is is embracing discussion when I disagree and even when it makes me uncomfortable or stokes my emotions. Um but then but then I'm realizing I need to learn how to um discern which ones of those are actually valuable conversations and which ones are not. Right. And it's okay to, and it's even okay to block some people. I didn't block him, he blocked me, but it's even okay to say this person is a waste of time and I have limited amount of time. <laughs> and so, look, some people love it. Some people love just arguing. I mean, Douglas Graham just says in chat, I love arguing on the net. Like some people love it. That That's fine. Uh, you know, I'd certainly get in moods where I do have an argument once in a while on the internet because it's fun. But in general, um, you know, if we think about, let's say I'd spend an hour arguing with someone on Twitter. <laughs> that's an hour I could have been editing some video or writing some content or doing something that will reach more people and making a positive case for something rather than like, tearing down one moron who's, you know, really just a uh, <laughs> broken individual with a thin mask. Yeah. So, um, anyway. <sighs> Carrie. Uh, what? I don't know. There's two... I, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw these two topics out that someone brought up in... Two people brought up in chat earlier on. And if you want to talk about either one, we can. Otherwise... Okay. Have to, we can move on. So Lindsay Peterson said, I wouldn't mind a show that gives me a glimpse of a light at the end of the SJW tunnel. Elon Musk said that he doesn't hire people because they have university degrees. Uh, and then Kent Onufrachuk says, I'm curious, hey Carter, I'm curious to what your thoughts are on government's role should be in public health crisis. I assume related to Corona. Uh, it makes sometimes public health crisis make small government people question their stance. So those are the those are the two main ones. <clears throat> Did Elon Musk say he doesn't hire them just because they have a university degree or that he's not hiring anyone who has a university degree? I think he says he doesn't hire them just because they have a university degree. Just I, because. I doubt he would oh, okay. not hire them because they had one. That seems right. Like a bit okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, well, I think that's a good thing. I don't, I, I think we're at a place where it, we, I mean, clearly as we've seen in the show, a university degree doesn't tell me very much about whether or not you're a thinking person anymore. Um, you can, there are plenty of these people who are not thinking, who are running around pushing my old belief system, who have multiple degrees <laughs> and, and are simply highly educated zombies. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, so yeah, yeah. And I've I've said this before, just in the tech field, which obviously most of the people Elon is hiring are tech people. Um, there's, I I know that there's still a lot of people, uh, maybe with larger companies, major maybe older 
people, I, I don't know, maybe wherever you live, whatever, but I'll say just, you know, in Silicon Valley, it's not that the degree is, is worthless. Like people, they like degrees from Stanford and MIT, of course, but uh, there is a, there is kind of a general feeling that the degree is one path towards a towards achievement of a particular towards mastery of a particular subject, but not the only path. And, um, you know, I mentioned this, I think recently, like in the field of software engineering, like if you have a, you know, you typically you have a GitHub repository where you're putting code and you're contributing to often you're contributing to open source code so people can see what you're doing and your expertise or you've built things or you've done something like that. And so, um, employers care about that a lot more than like, I have a degree from Stanford generally, um, in electrical engineering or whatever it is. They want to see what you're actually doing because, um, it's a better test of whether you're, what have, how you're going to perform as an employee because school is not, school is a proxy for employment, but it's a very poor proxy for employment. Um, there are plenty of people who underperform at school and perform very well in the workforce and plenty of people who perform very well at school and just aren't very good in, in the corporate world, uh, in, in the free market actually having to work on projects. So, uh, you know, I think employers have, at least in the tech industry, at least in kind of the Silicon Valley area, have certainly realized that this doesn't, you know, your university degree isn't necessary. What's necessary is your mastery of the subject. And you may have gotten that through the path of a university degree, but uh, it's the mastery and the ability to, to contribute in a work environment that matter more. Um, so, and which I think is good. And, you know, Cernovich said something about this coronavirus thing, which is like, maybe a whole bunch of people will start waking up to how much better online school is than going in person, because a lot of people are going to have to do remote learning. And there are a lot of advantages to doing uh, online school. And ultimately, if I was going to ma wave a magic wand, I would rather have a population of self learners, none of whom go, go to school at all, than people who, uh, are in the school structure and that's what they know, but they excel at it. Uh, it's much better to be an autodidact than, than to have a degree in physics from MIT because the autodidact really has no limits to where they can go. And the physics MIT degree may, might have limits. Um, it means that they operated in a structure that was pretty rigid and performed well at it, but it doesn't mean they can actually contribute to society in the way that you're looking for at a company. A uh, little ragamuffin in chat quoted uh, Good Will Hunting, which is a movie I just I love that movie, actually. recently. Yeah. I didn't realize I liked it so much until I saw it again recently. And I was like, oh, this is pretty good. Um, she quoted Matt Damon saying, you wasted $150,000 on an education you could have got for $1.50 in late fees at the public library. <laughs> <laughs> if only it was that cheap now. That movie was made a while ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I definitely am someone who that applies to, but on the other hand, here's something about the online schools that I think, cause I was, I was talking to some college kids, um, actually when I had to work on Saturday, uh, about, the, about taking classes from home. And I was like, maybe college students will learn that they much prefer to learn online and these girls were saying, no, I, I don't do well online. I need to be in person. And I started thinking about it. And actually, I do better on 
I'm not an autodidact. In some ways I am. I like to read. But whenever I've learned a, particularly a skill, it always helps for me to see someone doing it and instructing me in it. And I know there are YouTube videos. It's just there's something maybe it's that I'm a woman and I like to work with people. I don't know. But I like that actual in-person instruction. And I like it in-personal instruction when it comes to subject matter as well sometimes. So I don't know. Yeah, maybe I, I mean, could adapt. No, but. I mean, I'm not, I'm not against the idea of school per se. I'm not saying that like, you know, meeting in person. I mean, like there are some subjects like chemistry, for example, it's great to like be in a room with someone doing actual stuff. Like there's, you know, um, and everyone learns differently. So, so absolutely. But, um, you know, and I'm only, I'm mostly talking about tech degrees because I think non-tech degrees are, uh, predominantly useless. So I'm not even talking about those. Like maybe you can get a higher paying job as a barista if you have a gender studies degree instead of like a, uh, just college or just a high school diploma. I don't know, but I'm talking about tech when I say all this uh, predominantly just to, to clarify. Um, cause I think that's what Elon Musk was talking about. But, um, I don't know. I mean, Douglas, Douglas Graham says he sees the opposite. A degree is by far the biggest decider of income. That's true. A degree is the biggest decider of income. Um, if you take the word decider to mean correlated with, degrees are correlated with income, but degrees are, and you're looking at past event. When you look at that data, you're looking at past degrees, right? Because they, they look at lifetimes. So we're looking at degrees from years ago when we look at that and, and conclude that. Um, I don't think that will be true in the future when we look at it as, as true. I think the correlation will drop a little bit. But the reason that degrees are highly correlated with uh, income is that degrees are correlated with IQ because the SAT is a proxy for an IQ test. So smarter people tend to go to college more than less intelligent people do. And, uh, or at least they, they did. <laughs> I've certainly been questioning that now, but uh, <laughs> smarter people tend to go to college more. So smarter people tend to do their actually, uh, what's correlated with income is IQ. Um, now, universities are a proxy for IQ, but um, it's, it's IQ that's correlated to the income. Um, so you, you, you have causality backwards. If you say, well, it's going to college that makes people successful. That might not be the case necessarily. It might be that people who are going to success, be successful tend to go to college because they tend to be smart and that's what they tend to go and do. So, um, I believe Douglas, not Douglas Murray. Uh, oh yeah, not Douglas Murray. Um, Charles Murray. I believe Charles Murray I believe Charles Murray's research demonstrated a correlation to IQ, not necessarily to the university experience. So that's all. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so I think we should start wrapping up. It's been an hour and a half. Uh, my brain is shutting down. That's cool. We can do we can do the other question about the health crisis and governments later when when someone else needs another anarchist rant. Okay, good. You save them up. You owe me one anarchist rant. Fair. Um, so I just, uh, we forgot to mention at the beginning, but uh, you've been watching Unsafe Space. This is a Kefefe break. And you can follow us online at unsafespace.com. We're going to be having our next book club coming up uh, on Sunday, a week from yesterday. On the March 22nd, we're doing a live discussion of Douglas Murray's book, uh, the Madness of Crowds, which is an excellent book if you haven't started it already. And if you want to be in the video chat, we haven't, I think we're trying to figure out how we're going to do that one because we have changing technology this time. But um, if you want to be in the video chat, send an email to speak at unsafespace.com 
and we Carter or I will Carter Carter will get you the link closer to the date. Um, and if you don't want to be in the video chat, you can still be in the live discussion here of the chat that's happening like right now. That's totally fine. Or you can watch it after we're done with it. But the book, uh, if you need to get a copy of the book, you still have time to read it or listen to it. If you follow the link on our book club page on unsafespace.com, that's our affiliate link. And we will get uh, uh, some pennies if you purchase it through our affiliate link. Uh, what else, Carter? Um, I think that's it. Please don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and go to subscribe star, ugh, subscribe star to uh, support the show financially. We need every penny we can get, actually, so that we can continue to operate. So I think that's it. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe, Carrie. Try not to have too many parties during the coronavirus outbreak. Or small gatherings. <laughs> yes. Bye, everyone. Bye.